Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey. Well, size isn't everything, I guess. Judd Zolgad. He's white. As white as you folks. With empty eyes and a big hollow voice. He looked traveling around with a mean old house. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Whatever it takes. Another one, too. Slug to right field. That's it a ton. Grossman doesn't know where it is because it's gone. A mammoth two-run homer. For Justin Smoke to straightaway right field. His fourth of the season is a two-run shot, and it is 5-0 Blue Jays. We gave him some runs and uh, couldn't contain there. Tried to keep it as close as we could, but we pecked away, and, and it just kind of a familiar story. We couldn't we couldn't get over the hump. By the way, real quick aside, I'm following my Twitter feed right now. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering how nerdy baseball has gotten over the past few years, Trevor Bauer and Lance McCullers Jr. are currently chirping at each other and arguing about spin rate on Twitter. So two really in their prime major league pitchers casting shade upon each other's so they're, spin rate. So, so they're, they're like going, fighting. So they're going back and forth Lance on Twitter. Lance McCullers goes, this is hilarious. He goes, uh, oh, the tweet's gone now. Something like, jealousy is not a good look on you. Here it is. Jealousy isn't a good look on you, my man. He tweets at Trevor Bauer. You have great stuff and have worked hard for it, like the rest of us. No need for this. I will ask, though, because my spin rate and my spin axis on my four-seam is not good. (laughs) That's right. If you calculate calculate the Pythagorean theorem of my changeup. So how did this even start? I have no idea. I haven't taken the time to go back (laughs) in the thread. That is so geeky. (laughs) That's right. I'm going to throw a high spin rate curveball that's going to bounce off your toe. Oh, my gosh. All right. I love baseball. Yeah. Miguel Miguel Sano and this hamstring thing. Yeah. so you and I were talking off the air, and uh, and and was it your conversation with Royce or where did you? Let's just start okay. with that because so, I agree with what you brought up before the show. So I said I I walked out after we got done with the show yesterday, and uh, Patrick was there, and I said, "What are you going to do with Sano? What are you going to do here? They've got to do something here. This this happens. This now happens every year." And Patrick said, "I would send him down. I would DL him, send him on a rehab assignment. Call up Nick Gordon, who's." doing very well right now, and I believe Patrick said that he would play, he would uh, put Gordon in at third base right now, Mm -hmm. and that he would leave Sano down to lose weight, which I agree with. And then the thing, though, that occurred to me is this. It seems, other than the move to right, 
it seems to me that the Twins have gone out of their way at, uh, in since Sano got here that they're almost afraid of of making him mad. That they don't want him to get mad because oh my gosh, if he gets mad and then he becomes a fr- free agent in years from now, he's going to leave the team and he won't resign here and he's going to go play for the Mets or the Yankees and that's going to be terrible. And my point is, this has now gotten to a point, Phil, where this is about his career. Mm-hmm. This is not about May of 2018. It's not even about 2018. We are now talking about a guy who who either has an eating problem or, for whatever reason, is not taking a boatload of talent seriously. And he is eating his way and, and, and having fun out of baseball. So the, and this is not a well. Worst case is he's going to be a DH and he's still go- going to be fantastic. No, he's getting hurt on a yearly basis. And and for all the snow apologist, yes, it was unfortunate that he hit a ball off his leg, and I get that that was odd. But this is now at least two out of three years in which he's had a hamstring go on him, and the reason why his hamstring goes is because he's out of shape and is not in condition to play this game. And it's also why. The, the team always says, well, you know what? He he has a sore hamstring, but he'll be back in a day. And then inevitably they say after two days, he's got a sore hamstring, but he'll be back on the third day. And then what happens? They DL him. So my grand point is the Twins need to do with, with Snow and his reps, whatever is necessary to get it through to him, that he is teetering. He's getting closer and closer by the year and by the day of wasting his career. Yeah. This is a waste of a career. This so the most important thing is this is not about the immediate future. This is not about a week from now. This is about do you want to have a career or don't you? And, and if I have to do something that you really don't like at this point, it's worth it. Man, there are so many paths off this conversation. I like I I think I agree with everything you just said. I I don't think you can just oh, let's you know 10 day DL and if he's ready and I mean Th- this reminds me a lot in a different way of the dust-up between Ron Gardenhire, was it Tory Hunter, who tried to punch Justin Morneau in the clubhouse like 12 years ago because, not because Morneau was out of shape, but because Morneau had all this talent. Yes. And and there were some guys, including his manager, that thought, you're just, like, you're up there, you're striking out too much, or you can't hit lefties, you're not taking this, you're not fulfilling your promise here. And it kind of took a come-to-Jesus meeting of sorts before... The light switch went on, and he won the MVP award in 2006, and the rest is history until the concussion. I just kind of wonder, and then Morno learned how to be a great leader, and he sparked a lot of young guys in that clubhouse. I just wonder, what would it be like? And Morno and, and Tory Hunter are part of the organization, but I don't know if they're around enough or if they feel like they can go have that come-to-Jesus conversation. But could you imagine if one of those guys or both of them were in that clubhouse? If Tory Hunter were still in there, Justin Morno? And their ability as leaders to sit there next to Sano and say, listen, dude, this is not how we operate. I don't know if Dozier is that kind of a guy. I mean, Dozier is a leader, but I don't think he's that kind of a leader. So if it comes down to someone, one of his peers, having to shake him and say, dude, you need to snap out of this. The other thing I wonder, Roycey and Suhan both wrote similar, similarly um, toned columns. Roycey had the first one, and then Suhan had another one several months later about Miguel Sano's physical conditioning and how people in the organization have some concerns. And they kind of called that out when he was hitting home runs and when he was bursting on the scene as this savior of the franchise. And those guys got crucified by fans and bloggers and, and media people in this town. 
oh, you're just being contrarians and you're just spreading BS about a guy. I mean, let's go back and look at now we're four years into this thing and he weighs more than ever. He's injured every single year, like you said. And it's the same thing. You can't tell me that some of it doesn't have to do like you can't sit here and look at Miguel Sano as he as he starts to fade away from third base at some point. And by the way, I'm an advanced analytics guy. I'm not just spewing old baseball cliches. Let's go line up the defensive runs saved. Let's go line up the UZR per 150 games played. He's near the bottom in every category analytically as well. I know he has a cannon for an arm, but you know what? It's going to be wasted at first base starting pretty soon as soon as Joe Maurer's contract is up. So, I mean, the, the one thing, it would be amazing if Miguel Sano could latch on, and I don't even know if he communicates with this guy, but Adrian Beltre is from the Dominican Republic, just like Miguel Sano. Adrian Beltre, uh, Beltre in the late 90s broke into the league when he was in his early 20s. Actually, he might have been 19 years old, just like Miguel Sano was in his early 20s when he broke into the major leagues at a younger age than most players. Third baseman, just like Miguel Sano. Now, Sano's frame is like six foot four, and even if he were in shape, he'd be like 250 pounds, right? He'd still be a hulking third baseman. Beltre is like 5'10, 5'11, uh, more cat like. still a veteran. Yeah. I would love to see. Some sort of an Adrian Beltre Miguel Sano connection. I don't know if that happens in the offseason, but this is a guy who's been in peak physical condition for two decades in the major leagues. Yep. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's from the same place, Dominican Republic, as Miguel Sano. He's the ultimate professional and leader behind the scenes. And I just I don't know if that's a connection to be made. I mean, obviously he plays for the Rangers. Thad Levine has a connection there. But I it's like he needs someone to kind of say, listen, dude. You can still have your fun and make your money, and it's great being a major leaguer, but if you want to be playing at a Hall of Famer all-star level when you're in your 30s, like me, Adrian Beltre, you got to focus on some stuff here. And I think what, what the Twins have to do now, the most immediate thing that they need to do is they need to get him in shape. And I don't care where that happens. I don't care if it happens on a baseball field. I don't care if you have to send him to a fat camp right now. They have to get him in shape because he can't operate like this and the twins can no longer worry about his feelings or or if you know god forbid he signs with the dodgers in six years what the twins need to do is they need to sit down with him and say you are ruining your career yeah not wasting it he's ruining it he he's going he is perilously close to eating his way out of the sport let's uh let's look here's another thing too just to add to it so Tom Kelly always says, you know, a thousand to fifteen hundred plate appearances is that's how many you need to really start to figure out who a hitter is. And once you've gotten that many plate appearances, it becomes a lot more difficult to drastically reshape who you are as a hitter. So Sano is at the one thousand two hundred plate appearance mark right now, mm-hmm. and he's a two fifty hitter who gets on base at a slightly above league average clip. He's a three forty on base guy, and and he hits for some power. Let's take away the first two-month stretch, or it was like two and a half months, where he absolutely came in, tore the cover off the ball. There wasn't wasn't really a book on him from a scouting July perspective. July 1st of that year, yes. Because there's a lot of hitters who come in and their first time through the league, oh, Chris Parmalee was amazing his first time through the league, and and Trevor Plouffe hit all those home runs first time through the league or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Lou Ford hit like 400 through the first two months. So let's, let's take away the first couple months where Miguel Sano took the league by storm. And let's just look at the 1,000 plate appearances in 2016, 17, and 18 when pitchers kind of know who he is and they know how to get him out. Here's who he is. He is a 247 hitter 
who gets on base at a 330 clip and averages 35 home runs per 162 games, which he never plays. That's what I was going to say. What's games played? Like, uh, well, games played on average. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a shortened season this year, but he it's 116, 114, and it's going to be, yeah. you know, something. Something far so less than that. So, to, yeah. so let's 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 take seventy five percent of that. So he hits about you know twenty five to thirty home runs on average. I mean that's not that's not a guy that you're going to put a bunch of money in long term to. No, and if that nor is, should you. And a guy who's mostly positionless, first base, perhaps after this season, that's who he is but, right now. And that's a lot of plate appearances. But He's twenty five years old now. But if you were to play this out realistically, if you if the Twins were to sit down and say, okay, what's the projection here as things stand right now? The projection is he's going to have to DH. He's going to have to. Now, the realistic projection of that is, and I'm not joking, he's going to be 350 pounds. That might be a little aggressive, but yeah. Okay, 340. <laughs> I, I don't okay. care. My point, my point. I mean, it's like another 50 pounds my, from where he is now. My yeah, point, my point, you. my point being is if you do the complete projection and say he can't play third, we've, you know, first base maybe, but Probably ultimately at the rate he's going, he's a DH long term. Okay, now let's project him at three forty, three thirty. He's going to eat his way out of this game. Yeah, it's definitely a tipping point for his career here, no both pun, figuratively no and literally. Um, somebody asked yeah. this question on Twitter: Who drives you more crazy, Andrew Wiggins or Miguel Sano? It's a pretty good segue. I think Andrew Wiggins, and if you're going down checklists of what do some of these guys need to work on, instead of crucifying them for what they aren't, I've got a list of a few things Andrew Wiggins can lock himself in a gym and do this offseason, and we'll mix in some of Tom Thibodeau's thoughts from yesterday, too. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Mackie and Judd are back. Man, that sounds good. On 1500 ESPN. You still want to improve offensively, and I think there's things that we can do better offensively but also defensively to develop a consistency of how we want to play defensively. I think the big thing for our players, uh, particularly the young guys who haven't been in the playoffs before, I think once you get there, it does give you a better understanding of what it's going to take moving forward. So I think the offseason, the work we can do there, and then also as we move forward with draft picks, trades, free agency, we can improve the club that way also. So that was Tom Thibodeau yesterday. So Judd, I started making a list yesterday of, in, instead of just constantly hammering on Andrew Wiggins, let's make a to-do list. If you complete these things on this checklist, then you can emerge on the other side of the summer as this much more complete player that can maybe get closer Go to, to Spurs? fulfilling the mask. Was that the first one? Go to Quinn Snyder. Go to, <laughs> Go to uh, Celtics? Was Brad that the... Stevens. Yes. But in absence of that, Here's the sad thing. I started making a list, and I put a few of these things on Twitter. I said he should work on four things this offseason. Free throws, three-pointers, shot selection, and strength. Like Because he's been in the NBA for four years. He's going like to he a sixth-grade basketball but camp? But here's the thing. And so other people start chiming in. And a bunch, Mr. Thibodeau, thanks. And a bunch correctly started pointing out, well, <laughs> dribbling, too, because he's, he's really bad at dribbling. And maybe <laughs> dribbling, his inability to dribble in traffic and have a crossover move and just have good handles probably causes him to take bad shots because he can't get to certain places on the court. So you add dribbling. And look, wait a second. Time out. Okay. So if our to-do list for Andrew Wiggins is free throws, shooting from long distances, yeah, like where you should shoot from and just play sort of basketball IQ, getting stronger and dribbling, 
Isn't that pretty much like everything you would ever do on a basketball court? <laughs> what would you say you do here? It's a sixth grade basketball camp. <laughs> Welcome, Andrew. Lunch will be at uh, 12.30. Until then, we're going to work on your dribbling. Chest-to-chest passing yes, drills. Yeah. Work on the overhead pass. Bounce pass. Okay, kids. I mean, think about that. A basketball player Lunchtime. who you're about to pay 25 to $30 million a year to, yep. and you can make a list of everything that you would ever do on a basketball court. Like yep. You should work on all that. And, <laughs> and yet the head coach, as of late especially, in recent months, has been singing his praises left and right. It's either to try to get to him, which I don't believe, or it's to try and trade him. He probably had a better all-around year this year than he did last year in terms of defense and what he contributed. I think the big thing uh, with this summer, it he's not. It won't be clouded. Uh, last summer, he had uh, his contract that probably took something away from him. Uh, because you you know you're you're not going to be approaching things maybe the same way. So this summer will be great. I think the experience of the playoffs was was huge for him, and he did a lot of good things. Um, and I think we saw down the stretch uh, him playing a more complete game, and I think he can build on that. I, mean, I I think you're onto something here. His comments about Andrew Wiggins having a clouded off season last year it means one of two very different things. Number one. He's lying and just trying to drum up reasons why Andrew Wiggins should have a better perception about him than is true. And so why that, he regressed. Sure, so that he could maybe trade Andrew Wiggins this summer. Or number two, the organization, led by Tom Thibodeau, actually thinks that a guy who knew he was going to get a $150 million contract and change generations of Wiggins family members going forth the next 100 to 200 plus years that that was somehow a distraction to him, even though it was his choice to wait two months to sign the contract. Correct. So it's it's one of two things. If he could just get better even at three-point shooting, if they could get Tyus Jones we've and Andrew Wiggins to shoot three-point shooting, one thing, Dave. Like he'd be closer, he'd be closer to a $20 million player. We've got him but. down to one thing now. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I just, I honestly, when, when I heard uh, uh, Tibbs postgame after they lost to Houston after game five and then his comments on Monday... It really sounds like he's doing his best to be as positive as possible. So teams say, oh, yeah, there might be something here. And I think Tibbs, Tibbs is probably smart enough to know that there's going to be three, probably three, four teams that will at least talk to him about this. Because there's no way, there is no way that Tom is buying what he's selling. He can't be. I don't know. I, I it, wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if Tom Thibodeau is sort of out of answers on how to connect with Wiggins. Because, like, why wouldn't he have shown drastic improvement in two years under Tom Thibodeau if he wasn't going to show drastic improvement? Correct. And so if they do plan on hanging on to him, it's super wishful thinking to say, well, I guess this was a like to hope that there was a distraction last year that prevented him from working on a bunch of important elements or every important element of his game. And now that that distraction that I just kind of made up isn't going to be there, maybe he'll be able to put the necessary work in. So I don't know. It's a uh, like to. I think to say that he wants more out of Wiggins is encouraging, that he's not just delusional and thinking, oh, he's like this, he's way better than you think, and I watch the film. I I think it's encouraging that Tom Thibodeau understands there's a lot more meat on that bone, and you need to you need right. to light a fire in some way. 
but then, to, like to your point, to come to his defense and come up with excuses reeks of boosting a guy's trade value. I mean, the Twins have done this with Miguel Sano, right? He's having a great offseason. He's yep. engaged and... Hey, everything's looking great. And He's sure got a he, cannon for an arm. And, and sure, he gained weight and didn't didn't do much. But you know what? He was coming off surgery. He couldn't he couldn't work out. He, I mean, he couldn't mix in a salad. I mean, yeah. come on. He, got, he had to be on his couch. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, I think Tibbs is well aware of the fact that that there's w- way more to get from this guy. The problem is what you said. I don't think he has a clue how to get it. And at some point in time. If you're going to be the coach here long term, you are going to have to accept that if that's the case, you're best trying to at least trade trade him for for something in return that can help you. Uh, here, I'll play one more clip for now. We can get back into some of this later on. We're going to get to Jason Stark here shortly, but this is Tom Thibodeau from yesterday on offseason needs for the Timberwolves. We're looking to add wings, you know, and I think I think he means basketball players, right? They're going to fly away, or does he mean the food? No, that's actually what he says every time he orders a pizza. All right, uh, I got one large wings. pepperoni. Anything else for you, Tom? We're looking to add wings. <laughs> How many, Mr. Tibble? <laughs> All right, uh, burger and fries. Anything else? We're looking to add wings. <laughs> yeah, we'll We're use that. To add wings. You know, and I think uh, the three-point shooting, uh, the ability to play more than one position, uh, the ability to guard your own position, uh, that's become vitally more even more important in today's NBA. The speed of the game has changed, uh, and we have to be ready to uh, to attack that. It's almost like he's just coming to the realization he, that, oh, man, there's a bunch of teams with these like, guys who can shoot saying, threes and defend the league. Is he saying that to tell you that or to try and convince himself that he knows this to be the case and he needs to adjust? No, he knows it to be the case now. But the question is, when did he realize it to be the case when he brought in, like— I know, you but know, it just volume, sounds like in Derek Rose it sounds like and, he's trying to explain to himself where where the game has gone, and thus this is why he must change himself. We're looking to add wings. <laughs> that's that's a keeper. That's awesome. Let's try this. And now another episode of Tom Thibodeau is hungry. We're looking to add wings. This has been another episode of Tom Thibodeau's Got the Munchies with Mackie and Judd. Oh, Oh, man. We'll find out if Jason Stark has the munchies when we come back, get some trivia, talk some depressing twins. Luther Brookdale Toyota is the dealership and service department, as you uh, know by now if you listen to the show that my family and I have been going to for a very long time. I love perusing around LutherBrookdaleToyota.com's pre-owned vehicle section. Uh, as they say, statistically, at uh, the uh, the Toyota dealerships around the, the country, when they add up all of the uh, analytics and metrics, 80% of Toyotas that were on the road 20 years ago are still on the road today. Thanks in large part of you know, two reasons, durability of Toyotas and service departments like the one at Luther Brookdale Toyota. You can get into all kinds of great pre-owned vehicles for great prices. My recommendation, go look at vehicles that are like seven, eight years old. And and these 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 come and go pretty quickly, but there's always sort of an influx coming in. So just keep your eye on the website on a daily basis if you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle. And maybe find something with like 80,000 miles, 100,000 miles, where if it was another type of vehicle, you might say, yeah, that's too many miles. But Toyotas can go up over 200,000 miles, especially the way that they're serviced and uh, made. 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. 
Phil Mackey. That boy is crazy. Judd Zolgad. I like the guy, yeah. but he says goofy stuff. Mm-hmm. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackey and Judd are talking twins. Now, now, with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. And there's a drive. Deep left field by Russell Martin. That ball is long, long gone. Into the second deck. <laughs> well, there's always next year for the Twins, Jason Stark. <laughs> He's not kidding, there's Jason. There's always next year. Um, there, You know, can I just mention something? Fire away. <laughs> 138 to play this year. Can we go through those first? That's the unfortunate thing right now, Jason. Yeah. There's 138 <laughs> left to play. Yeah. Please help us more. One in one thirty-seven, something like that. Uh, they might, they might win a couple games against the the White Sox or the Royals or something. But uh, well, I, so you let's start here. You can find Jason's musings on the Athletic platform now. So just go to theathletic.com/slash/mlb and you'll see Jason's featured work. Things you learned in the month of April, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you learned that you know the, the the Twins are just laying in the weeds, ready to pounce on the other American League teams. <laughs> what what else did you learn? Maybe this will make you feel better. There are eight teams on pace to lose 100. Oh. There, how about that? Feel better now? Thanks a lot, Jason. So if we thought basketball had a tanking problem, baseball might be giving basketball a run for its money. Yeah, I'm, like I'm boycotting the use of the word tanking because it's just too radioactive a word. Sure. But the class system in this sport is is just hard to miss right now. There, you got all these teams at the bottom that really don't care if they win. You got all these teams at the top that are just locks of the playoffs right now. I, I think the AL playoff field's almost set. <laughs> it just turned May, uh, and then there's just this very small middle class, especially in the American League. That just the odd thing is, I thought the Twins were part of that, and I, you know, I, I guess we could make a case that they still can be. That 138 to play. Um, was it four and a half back, three in the loss column behind the Indians? Who aren't playing that great themselves? Why is the twin season over? I mean, uh, there's so many things to yeah. unpack. You here. want to go here? Like, Phil, like here's an example. <laughs> I got reasons. Here, here's an, well, first of all, Miguel Sano. Who I, we'd love your thoughts on on Miguel Sano. Who you know, once again, he's on the disabled list with a hamstring injury, can't stay healthy. But like, here's an example from last night: the importance of Byron Buxton defensively, who's been out now with both migraines and now a hairline fracture in his foot. So with Buxton in center field, they have the luxury of playing Max Kepler, who also can play center field. They put him in right field. Well, last night, because Kepler has to play center field, Robbie Grossman, who should know, he pretty much should go nowhere near a glove as much as we love his at-bats. He's your favorite player. He's my favorite Selfish. offensive pitch taker. <laughs> and and okay. he, he goes back on a ball in the fourth inning last night with the game in balance, and it goes over his head by about two inches, and that yeah. leads to a three- or four-run inning by the Blue Jays, and the Twins lose the game by two. You know, stuff like that happens because Myron Buxton's not in the game, and pitchers, pitchers notice it too. Yeah, I mean, look, I saw that. Um, I'm not sure where you want me to go with that. I was... Uh, that was more venting than a question. <laughs> but, <laughs> I am um, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, I do think that Buxton is indispensable in that way. He really is. Um, you know, the list of center fielders in the game who make a bigger impact than him with the glove is like if you can count it on one hand, that might be stretching it. 
He's spectacular, and he's a difference maker. And every once in a while, those differences show up, and they show up over the course of a of a long season. And you know, unfortunately, it looks like he's going to be out a while, and you got to cover it. You have to do that. Um, did you want me to weigh in on snow? Was yes. that a question in there somewhere too? Or? Yes, please. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think he still falls under one of the, the category of guys who are kind of more highlight real than impact player. And at this stage of his career, I didn't think we'd be saying that. I know the guy is what, like twenty five years old, but he just hasn't made progress really in any way and it's a source of frustration i'm you know more more for you than me more for them than you jason is there a comparable among guys that that you have uh have seen throughout your career of a guy who you who you started off saying he doesn't get it he's going to to sabotage his career and he got it one day because Sinel's problem is, you know, his weight continues to balloon. It seems like from an outsider's perspective that, that he doesn't take it all that seriously. Uh, is there a comparable that you can think of from your time in this game where, where there's hope here and we should look at player X, Y, or Z? Well, I mean, there's, there, there's a long list. I, you know, I look, I live in Philadelphia and um, first off, I think Michael Franco, the Phillies' third baseman, is a is a almost perfect comp because both those guys came up about the same age, at, at, at about the same time, and initially, you know, they they started pounding baseballs into places where you don't ordinarily see them hit, and people got excited, and then. It, it just never got better from there. It's really hard to hit right now. There's so much information. It's a game of constant adjustment. It requires massive dedication. It requires playing with energy and focus every night. Uh, it requires going out onto the field with a game plan every night. And so I think there's a parallel there. You know, I also thought when I first watched Miguel Sano that first half season, two-thirds of the season, whatever it was, uh, he reminded me a lot of Ryan Howard when Ryan Howard first came up. Now, Ryan Howard did sustain it, win an MVP, uh, win a Rookie of the Year, you know, was a was a critical part of a team that won the World Series. But the second half of his career, um, you know, he just – he never adjusted to the way he was being pitched and defensed. And, I mean, I, I worry that that's part of it with Sano. He just – he just isn't adjusting. You got to remind yourself that he's 25, right? I mean, Aaron Judge won the Rookie of the Year last year, and Miguel Sano is younger than that. But the game requires adjustment and dedication if you're yeah. going to be good at it. Hey, J- Jason Stark with us here for his weekly appearance, Mackie and Judd. You can find his musings on theathletic.com slash MLB. So we had a fun little segment a couple hours ago on our show where we do a weekly ranking list and, and, and it called a pecking order on our show. And we did, uh, as a source of venting for the Twins' slow start, the 10 Twins players that were the most maddening for us watching throughout our lives. And we actually came up with comp- – not and we, sometimes we, you know, we won't tell each other what our lists are. And so today we had no idea what the other's list was going to be. We came up with 10 completely separate players on our list, so 20 separate players. Wow. I had Delman Young – 
number one on my list just because of the gap between going number one overall. They wind up at the time, if you remember the trade the Twins made with the Rays, it was Matt Garza was the centerpiece. It was Matt Garza and Jason Bartlett going over to the Rays. And uh, and those guys helped the, those sort of fledgling good Rays teams. And then Delman Young comes over. And Delman wound up playing 10 years in the major leagues, but was out of the league by the time he was 30, which is pretty rare for a position player number one overall pick. Why do you think he never became the player that people thought he could have become? Is, it, is that a translation for why did he irritate me so much? Uh, that too. I think I have my own answers for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, when a guy gets picked number one in the draft, and then um, after one full season in the big leagues, he gets traded. And he gets traded by a front office as astute as Tampa Bay's. I mean, weren't the uh, the sirens sounding right there? Yeah. What <laughs> were the red lights flashing? Um, Delman was a tremendous offensive talent coming out of high school who I mean I, mean, I think he's another guy in that Miguel Sano class where I mean he he rode that talent to all those big league seasons, 10 big league seasons. But there just wasn't enough beyond that. Um, he was a he was he could be a really difficult personality on a team because he you know the world revolved around him. I had a like I actually had an issue with him um, myself really early on where I mean he he ripped the rays and the way they were handling him. Um, I quoted him verbatim. He then denied ever saying any of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the kind of thing that that happened way too often. And I, you know, I think the reason that you were most irritated by him is that he was such a bust as a twin. And then they traded him to the Tigers. And wasn't he ALCS MVP or something that year? Yes, he was. Yeah, he against the Angels. He popped up in the postseason a couple times. And I think I want to think the Twins got some nondescript reliever for him when it was all said and done. Uh, he had that one pop-up year where he, he hit 350 with runners in scoring position with the Twins and hit, drove in like 110 runs or something, and that was kind of the end of it for Delman Young. Yeah, I mean, there, he, he had his moments. He really had his moments. But um, for the for a number one pick in the country, yeah, um, I would say you're not the only person irritated by him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's look at that top five. It wasn't a, didn't turn out to be a real good draft. Ricky Weeks went two. Kyle Sleeth went three. Wow. Tim Stouffer went four. Oof. Chris Lubansky went five. Ryan Harvey went six. How Man. about that? That's the yeah. top of that draft. Yuck. Oh, my God. Uh, so, so from month one, sir, what, what was the biggest surprise for you as you put together that? Well, the Diamondbacks being the best team in the game, I, I can't say I saw that coming. Um, and they've been awesome. I mean, their bullpen is dominant. They, they've they've lost one game all season that they that they where they took a lead in the first three innings. So that that tells you how good they've been. Um, the Dodgers, on the other hand, in that division, Kenley Jansen more blown saves in April than he had all season last year. Uh, 
Shaw and Alex Wood as many losses already as they had all last season. Wow. This is bizarre. And then there's something that you, you, I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, that just the lack of balls in play. Yeah. This is insane. Um, I mean, we're on pace to finish with 2,500 more Ks than last year. 2,500. And... The, the trend on balls in play is 10, if we keep going in this direction, after a month where we had more strikeouts than hits, is 10,000 fewer balls in play than nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, all, really? in all due respect to Josh Hader. Like, he's been amazing so far and just set a major league record for most strikeouts by a reliever in fewer than three innings. But. You know, you look around the league, and every every pitcher, it seems like, Jason, we've gone in 25 years when you had a lot of guys who were, you know, top strikeout guys would, you know, would, would be doing it mostly off of volume of innings. And now it's like every reliever that comes in, minimum, is a strikeout per inning. You started a strikeout per inning if you're just a, like a break-even reliever. The whole sport now is almost a strikeout an inning. I yeah. think it's 8.75 strikeouts yeah. per, per game, right? That's just oh, <laughs> amazing. And, you know, the funny thing was I was looking at the, at the Twins starters during this stretch of 11 games. And, you know, obviously there were there were two really good starts in there by Gibson and Odorizzi. The other the other nine starts, they've, they've got a 9-3-0 ERA. Yeah. But, of course, they have a strikeout an inning in there even. Exactly. When, like, even when you're not getting people out, they're still swinging and missing every time you look up. Yes, and uh, and they and the Twins are gonna the, the Twins just pulled Phil Hughes from the rotation, who's who's earning thirteen million dollars a year for the next couple of years, and they're gonna try one of their top pitch, pitching prospects, Fernando Romero, tomorrow. Let's uh, let's fire up some trivia here with our friend Jason Stark. What do you got for us this week, I mean, Jason? I believe you got it right last week, didn't you? I think we're two for three so far. Yeah, I got no. I I goofed yeah. it up because I guess Pasquale instead of Jim Cott. And oh, you okay. guess caught. So I'm I'm hitting better than you are then. Yes. We need to separate this. You won last week. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're, we're turning up the dial this week. Okay? All right. All right. Bring it on. And, you know, I'm, I'm running about Albert Pujols, so I was looking up all the stuff Albert's done, and he's he's had 10 seasons of 35 homers or more. And the reason I'm bringing this up to you guys is all twins in history have 11. Okay, Eight of them are by Harmon Killebrew. So the question is, can you name the other three twins? This is over all these fifty whatever years who have had a thirty-five homer season. Three guys, one season apiece. Uh, Josh Willingham is one of them for sure. Yes, yes. We covered that team. Man, uh, Torrey Hunter never did it. No, no, and it's go. It goes. It Justin goes Morneau, way back. Because in '87, I don't think they did it. Justin Morna may have had. Somewhere in, I know he hit in the 30s a couple times. So Killebrew, did Bob Allison ever get that far? That's what I was. I was thinking his name, and I don't know, but it might be worth a shot. All right, Bob Allison. Yeah, that's good. Hey, yeah, I thought those were the two toughest, Allison and Willingham. Well, then I mean, did Kirby ever get over? It's either Kirby or Morno. I think. I think it's Kirby. Well, I or trust Morneau. you this week since I goofed up last Dave, week. So. Like Dave, it's Doge. Oh, Doge, 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 you're right, it's Doge. Yeah. <laughs> he just did it. <laughs> of course, the second it. baseman. That's who right. who, who I get was getting worried that you were oh. going to miss that. Boy, yeah, Doge, who... I mean, he uh, did it two years ago. We're all off our game, Jason. The Twins are doing so bad, we're all yeah. thrown off our game right now. 
That's the problem. Dozier's going to be a great trade bait conversation here in the next couple months as a free agent after the year. This is... uh, 138 to play. Yeah. 138. Thanks for Thank my... you for Thanks the positivity. For Bye, Jason. See you. See you guys. Bye. Jason Stark from The Athletic now. He's also you can Stadium TV. Bob he does Allison. a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, Doge. Morno got to like 33 or something one year. There were a lot of yes, and I think in eighty, I think uh, didn't didn't Brunanski get close one time, and Herbeck might. I think Tom got close one time, but they fell just short. It's funny, like during the steroid era when every hitter in baseball was no. getting to thirty, the Twins had Coomer with fifteen and Rich Becker oh, they with didn't, nine. They didn't cheat right. No, they did not. Because they didn't cheat. <laughs> Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I like these guys, but sometimes they think they're too damn smart. Mackey and Judd. Dummies. Mm-hmm. On 1500 ESPN. Want to run a race, but the training, that's what's keeping you away. Here's the race you need to sign up for. The Medtronic TC One Mile. That's the race for you. Thursday, May 10th. Runners of all skill levels will run along the riverfront in downtown Minneapolis for this fast and fun race. It ends with the J.P. Morgan Chase & Company post-race party, complete with food trucks, cash bar, and a live DJ. Head to 1500ASPN.com keyword events for more details. Thank you, Dave. Thanks to uh, Jason Stark. His weekly appearances are always a ton of fun. We're doing pretty well in trivia. With Dave's help there. Now yeah. that Dave's on Yeah, that, we whiffed on, that I whiffed Shocked on Doge. Shocked you guys yeah. were coming up with that name right away. Yeah. I don't know. It's like things that happen sometimes more recently. Objects in the mirror. I don't know. That's the wrong analogy. But yeah, like when people are in your blind spot, they're right next to you, but you can't see them. Brian Dozier's how 40 did, home run season. How did He's the Twins... buddy, though. Oh, Doge and I are, Doge and I are incredibly tight. How did the Twins not have guys hit more home runs in, in the Dome, is my question. It's really bizarre. The Homer Dome, as they call it? Which it, it really wasn't. It was a doubles dome. If you go back and look, it, it, that theory was disproven, I think, after they put the air conditioning in. Because they, in 82, it opened. They didn't have air. And it was hot and humid, and the ball traveled. And then they put a plexiglass in left field, and they put air conditioning in. And I think the, the statistics... Uh, proved very quickly that it became a doubles haven. Okay. Not a home run. But I still. It was partially a doubles haven because the ball would run the alley a lot quicker in the Metrodome than it would on a grass sure. field. But doubles you still, and triples, too, actually. Yeah. But you still had Herbeck and Gaetti and Brunanski. Like to get to thir- 35, you would have thought one or two of those guys would have stumbled into well, that at one part point. Part of it is the Twins, for a long time, did have the philosophy of hitting the ball to all fields, and if you're going to devote a certain percentage of your swings to hitting a ball to opposite field, it's harder to hit a home run yeah, it's probably to true. opposite field. As opposed to, I just pulled up a list of the 2001 Major League Baseball home run leaders, and you got to go all the way down into like the 40s before you get to Torrey Hunter at 27 home runs, and Corey Cat. They actually had some home run hitters that were getting into the 20s in the early 2000s, but that's the year where Bonds at 73. Yeah. Sosa hit 64, and the Bonds hit home runs to opposite field. Sosa really didn't. I mean, Sosa was just sitting on pitches to pull him onto Waveland Avenue. Uh, but some of the names on this list, first of all, there were in 2001 40 players who hit 30 home runs or more across baseball. So each team had one or two guys who hit 30 home runs on average. Of course, there And were. some of the names on here, of course, Great. you got Bonds and Sosa and A-Rod Sean Green, Brady 49. Anderson is my guess, right? He was 1996. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was like that was a few he, years earlier. He was mashing, and, and it made no sense. But you had like uh, Phil Nevin. You had Rich Aurelia. <laughs> I think he was the shortstop for the Giants. Yeah, he was. 37 yeah. bombs. He was. Uh, Brian Giles hit 37 home runs. 
Pirates, mm-hmm. Indians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice little Jeremy Burnitz, 34. That Jose Cruz guy who was a good player for a few years. Jose Cruz a bunch Jr., of home yeah. runs. Toronto, right? He was Toronto, and then he kind of bounced around to, to some other teams too. But, yeah. I mean, it was... It seemed like there were just so many great players in that era, and, and the oh, reality is, like, the whole water level was up. Now, there's it's funny is there's actually more home runs being hit in today's era than there were then, and it and is it because the ball is juiced? Is it because players have found different ways to put things in their system that don't make them look as hulking as like angle, Sammy Phil. Sosa? It's launch angle. Part of its launch angle. It's all about the launch angle. Part of it is about the launch. Angle. I think that I think that Stark is Stark is right about this though, and th- this is two consecutive weeks, and you can hear the concern in his voice. The ball not being in play is going to become a major problem here. I I think it's going to hit a bubble at some point though. I just I don't uh, think I don't think you're going to have a game where no no like, no you never have no, doubles. No, but so. I, but what I'm saying but what I'm saying is in a sport where in, in an era where people want action and home runs are fun. The ball not being in play is going to become a problem. Yeah, but don't you think that at some point, as as like guys like Josh Hader come out of nowhere, and he and granted he's you know he's been a good starting pitcher in the minor leagues, but now this guy is striking out nineteen or twenty batters per nine. That if like random guys are popping up and striking out everyone, hitters are going to come back and just have more of an emphasis and a focus on making contact. It's going to come back around at some point, like in the NBA at some point. There's just not going to be enough three-point shooters, and so you're going to. There's going to be a team that comes back in and does it with defense and and getting to the paint. Like that's darn straight. It's there is. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> oh my God. That's what they're doing. Yeah, they're so far a, ahead of the curve. They look like they're behind it right now. That's what it is. I was trying to figure out Tibbs' philosophy. Good luck with that. <laughs> it worked. Tom, how do you feel about your critics? Talk about your critics. Best question of the day yesterday. Love that question. Hey, he talked about how efficient that offense was. How dang good they were. You doubt him. He's so far ahead of the curve, it looks like he's behind it, and that's where we're getting messed up. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about the Timberwolves when we come back. And if if the Timberwolves go down the path that Tom Thibodeau and Scott Layden diagrammed yesterday, they're going to have to ask a bunch of really, really difficult questions. Mackie and Joe from the TCL Broadcast Studio.